Thanks for tuning in to episode 21, where we continue to talk to leading Melbourne orthopaedic surgeon, Chris Jones, about everything to do with total knee joint replacements. If you haven't listened to episode 20, I suggest you go back and have a listen to that and find out everything about knee replacements in general, including things like why somebody needs a knee replacement, what might lead to a knee replacement, how your scans and your pain levels influence that decision, the prosthesis he uses, and a whole lot more. But today, we're going to get into the operation itself. What happens during the operation? what happens after the operation, what happens regarding pain and swelling, and also, and really importantly, what are the expected outcomes of having a total knee joint replacement? What can you, as the patient, expect to do after you have this surgery? But before getting into today's episode, if you're enjoying our podcast, please don't forget to hit the follow button on our home site, And that will make sure you don't miss an episode. And it'd be great if you have any comments or feedback, leave them on our site. But for now, let's get into episode 21. We don't want to uh, put people off too much, but we need to talk about the process itself. And look, I often nicely (laughs) say to my patients that you guys are glorified carpenters and, you know, carpenters got a a, a saw, a hammer, a chisel, a rasp, a screwdriver. Um, What's in your tool belt other than the power saw you just mentioned? Saw, hammer, rasp, (laughs) screwdriver. Yeah, they're the tools that we've got. And, And I don't think it's totally unfair to cause glorified carpenters. In yeah. fact, maybe the glorified bit's the unfair bit. <laughs> um, broadly speaking, we we do careful, sensible surgery. It's not carpentry. Uh, and the reason it's not carpentry is if you're building a house and you hit the nail in the wrong spot, you just pull it out and put another yeah. nail in. You don't get a second shot. You can't go and buy another knee. Yeah. Uh, um, and that's why we have this this computer assisted equipment that's why we have the robotic assisted tools to to do it so you get it right first time but that sort of mantra of carpentry measure twice and cut once i teach my registrars measure twice and cut once yeah yeah. (laughs) you only get one go at it take care do it carefully do it sensibly um the difference between carpentry and surgery is that surgery has tissues attached to it uh, and the tissues are sensitive so you know, you you can't just blindly do the surgery. You have to do it carefully. You have to respect the tissues and you have to be, be really mindful that this is someone's knee. And it, it's not near enough, it's not good enough. Um, you, you do it properly and you do it carefully. And um, it's not blood and gore, though. Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, Very I well controlled. try and change my terminology when I'm talking about you guys <laughs> and, and uh, get a better term. But um, look, a couple of other questions that come in about the surgery itself commonly, um, like do you do anything to the patella and um, what what ligaments are left in my knee? So, this, so the patella, um, the patella is not as sensitive as the rest of the knee. The, the results of knee replacements in terms of satisfaction, whether you resurface the patella. So what we what we do sometimes, what I do every time, but what, what we do sometimes to 
the patella, so the bit that you can feel with Sorry, your Sorry, Chris, we've got to just do that. That just paused okay. again. So the Wi-Fi, so um, yeah, it's just saying the, the connection's unstable. Uh, I've got you now. So um, yeah, if you can just go back to the, um, I do it every time, but. So some- the patella, yeah, so, so resurfacing, the patella can be resurfaced or it can be left uh, it can be left as it is. It's much less sensitive than the rest of the uh, than the rest of the knee, and not every surgeon surgeon resurfaces the patella. And by resurfacing the patella, we mean I mean removing the articular surface or the, the the side of the patella that's pointing in towards your knee, and leaving the front of your patella, the bit that you can feel with your hand, and putting a, a bit of toughened plastic on the on the articular surface or the joint side of the patella. Um, the results of doing a patellary surfacing versus not doing a patellary surfacing are a lower revision rate. So you're less likely to need something more done to your knee. But we wonder if that's because if you get some pain in the front of your knee and you have already had your patella resurfaced, you can't go in and do it again. Whereas if you haven't had it resurfaced in your first operation, it's tempting to go back and resurface it. Unfortunately, the results of going back and resurfacing it a second time a hit and miss. It's not as reliable. Most of the pain that people get in the front of their knee is due to mismatch of the the components and their and their natural anatomy, um, and it's a really difficult problem that we're only just beginning to understand and be able to address. And certainly, you need a computer in your surgery to address it properly. Um, part of the problem is your you patellofemoral joint is kind of a completely different joint to the joint between your thigh bone and your shin bone but our implants resurface the whole lot with one operation. And, and sometimes you have to rob Peter to pay Paul and using a computer to do that accurately is, is a much better way of doing it. Um, the other ligaments in the knee are um, uh, the, the cruciate ligaments, which are inside the knee, the anterior and posterior cruciate ligament or the ACL and PCL and the collateral ligaments, the MCL and the LCL, so the medial and lateral collateral ligaments. Almost all knee replacements relieve the medial and lateral collateral ligaments. The knee balance is based on those ligaments. They're very important. We take a lot of care not to to injure them. The cruciate ligaments are usually removed. The anterior cruciate ligament in a total knee replacement is removed all the time. There is a knee replacement that's available overseas that leaves it intact, but it's not available in Australia. And the reason it's not available in Australia is the results haven't been shown to be good enough yet. And Australia is quite conservative about letting implants be available to to our surgeons and and rightly so. It may never become available in Australia because the results may never be determined to be good enough. It may not be determined to be safe enough. The posterior cruciate ligament can be taken out or it can be left in, in place. And there are two different ways of doing knee replacements. Leaving the posterior cruciate ligament in place makes your knee click a little bit less. Taking it out and replacing it with the the component metal and plastic, people notice their knee clicking a little bit more. But because there's less tissue in the knee, the knee bends a little bit more. It's a more reliable way of making the knee bend. And my experience has been that my patients who have what we call a posterior stabilised knee or a knee where we've taken out the posterior cruciate ligament and replaced it with prosthetic components, those patients have a better range of flexion in their knee and a better balanced knee. And I do that routinely now. I don't, I, it's, the result of the knee replacement is more important than a bit of subjective clicking. 
every knee replacement clicks and I just tell the patients, I can do it with less clicking, but I can't do it with no clicking. And you're better off having a knee that's balanced and moved and, and moves well. The results in terms of longevity are virtually the same and it depends which registry you look at. In the UK, the posterior stabilised knees have a longer, uh, a longer lifespan statistically than the, the, the cruciate retaining knees. And in Australia, it's subtly reversed, but it's more a statistical difference than a clinical difference. And, um, and most of us do a posterior stabilised knee because it gives you a better knee. Yeah, sure. And whilst we're on range, like we know range, you know, we want to get straightening back, obviously, and that can be difficult, but there's there's always a limit to a person's um, uh, bending range on their good knee. Like, what's your expectations with, with a patient's bend after the replacement? So the best indication for how much your knee bends after the surgery is how much it bent before the surgery. Right. It's hard to get, if people are really stiff before the surgery, it's hard to get them to be really bendy after the surgery, mainly because their quadriceps muscle has to stretch out. And if you haven't bent your knee beyond 90 degrees for the past 10 years, making get, getting me to bend at another 45 degrees means your muscle has to stretch more. And it just hasn't done that. Um, knee replacement components are designed to bend to about 140 degrees, which is right. better than your knee a bit more than 45 degrees beyond 90. So not putting your heel to your bottom. Yeah. You put your knee replacement heel to your bottom, your knee replacement is too loose and it's not going to be snug under your foot. It's not going to feel stable. Um, I aim for the people to have about 130 degrees, but you need to do, in my practice, my patients who, ha who don't have a robotic knee don't get to 130 degrees. Not every robotic knee gets to 130 degrees, but they're the ones who can do it. And it's because the knee is more balanced uh, through that range. Um, one of the surgeons I work with doesn't like that the robotic system that we use takes longer. He complains about it taking longer. And I said, well, why do you use it then? He said, well, it clearly works better. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he's right. It works better and it's worth spending the time for it, the time to do it. But the range of flexion is not heel to your bottom. The range of flexion is about 130 degrees. And with an instrumented knee, it's about 120 degrees. Um, Extension is really important to achieve. Um, but the patient has to work on that. That's, that's, that's physiotherapy and patients working on doing the right exercises, concentrating on getting your knees straight. Yeah, okay. And whilst we're on expectations, it's interesting, uh, as I was setting up for the podcast, I was, uh, as a, one of your patients up in the gym doing rehab six, six weeks past uh, knee replacement, saying, why doesn't my knee bend a bit more? And Rob, who's treating him, was saying his knee is the best we've seen for six weeks. So he thinks you're a genius. But, um, but again, <laughs> expectations. Uh, when, when do you hope that someone has their maximum degree of straightening and bending? Like how long have we got as physios to, to really get a person to that maximum range? Probably three or four months. Maybe you get a little bit more bend after that. I think the most important thing that, um, that determines how much your knee bends and straightens is how much swelling is in your knee. And perhaps swelling management is, is more important. It's at least as important, but perhaps more important than forcing the knee to bend. As the swelling comes out, well, what I see is as the swelling comes out of the knee, 
And that can happen at four months or five months or six months, even 12 or 18 months. As the swelling finally comes out of the knee, most people just get a little bit more range. Um, but if you're not getting to 90 degrees by three or four weeks after your surgery, you should have a manipulation to make your knee bend, to stretch some of that scar tissue out so it bends. So that early range is important, but the terminal range comes when the swelling comes out of the knee. Um, getting the knee straight is much more important. I can make your knee bend at four weeks. I can take you to an operating theater, give you an anesthetic and, and just gently push the knee and stretch the scar tissue out and make it bend while you're asleep. But I can't make your knee straighten. Uh, you have to make your knee straighten and your sure. finger has to make your knee straighten and, and you really have to stretch it out. And it's, if, if you ask me, is it more important to concentrate on achieving a fully straight knee or a really bent knee? My opinion, in the first six weeks, it's more important on achieving a fully straight knee because I can't address that down the track. Yeah, yeah, and I totally, we tend to put all our effort into straightening early with a little bit of bend. But um, whilst we're on swelling, again, it's a thing that we we find is that people do come out, obviously, with a really swollen knee, and, and a lot of that's to do with, there's a lot of, as we say to people, you know, there's a lot of work being done in your knee. Um, but is there anything special you, I mean, we'll do the elevation and the compression and the icing and the rest, but is there anything that you find works well for swelling? Anything you advise? Uh, I think doing little bits regularly, not doing a massive chunk. So, so I try and say to patients, go and see your physio get your exercises and get your physio to, to guide you through the exercises. You need to do the exercises yourself regularly many times through the day, not do nothing and go to your physio twice a week and do everything in an hour. Yeah. That will just make your knee swollen. The reason to go to your physio is to get the guidance to, uh, on what to do. You have to go and do it yourself and you have to do it through the day regularly. Um, I use a stocking, so it's called a TED stocking. It's designed to prevent clots, but it, it, I use it for swelling. And it goes right up to your groin. And I tell patients that they should wear it until they're ready to wrap it around my neck. <laughs> and they say, how long will that be? I'm like, well, hopefully at least six weeks. But if you can tolerate it for three months, it, the longer okay. you wear a TED stocking for, the less swollen your knee will be and the better the range of flexion will be and the easier it'll be to straighten your knee. And I try to convince my patients to not use narcotics. Try to stop the endone, the targin, the polexia, the dependidol. Try, try and stop those medications as soon as you can and try and use ice as your pain relief. If you can use ice as your pain relief, you're treating your pain, but you're also treating your swelling and your knee will get better quicker. Um, I think the single worst thing that someone can do after a knee replacement is do too much. Yep. And I say to patients, if, if you think that what you're about to do is going to be overdoing doing it, for 100% sure you're going to be overdoing it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you think you might not be quite doing enough, you're probably about right. Yeah. And in terms of swelling whilst we're on it, and it was interesting because this the guy in gym saying, God, why is my knee still swollen at, at six weeks? And we say, well, if you go on YouTube what Chris has done to you, you'll see why there's still some swelling at six weeks. Um, uh, when do you like to see the majority? Like what's what's realistic for the majority of the swelling to be looking good in a knee that's that's rehabbed well? I tell patients not to worry too much about it. 
most knee replacements are still reasonably swollen at 12 months and it might take 18 months to two years for the swelling to really go out of yep. them. The, the patients don't feel the knee is swollen at 12 months, but it's more when you point it out, it's more swollen than the other knee. And it's more that at two years, they're able to look at it and go, oh, wow, it looks like the other knee now. I see what you mean. The first few weeks, the knee's really swollen. The first few months, the knee's pretty swollen. And the first year or so, the knee's a bit swollen. And, and I think it's okay to be as ambiguous as that. Um, the knee is a big joint. We've done a lot of work and, and there's basically your knee and then the, the skin. There's no, it's not like a hip where there's all this muscle and stuff between the hip joints sort of buried deep inside you. So you don't notice the swelling when you have a hip replacement. Yeah. I don't have people complaining about their hip being swollen. I have people come to me at three months and say, why is my ankle a bit swollen? And the answer is because of gravity has taken the swelling from your hip and it's taken three months for that swelling to get to your ankle. Mm. But it's still swollen. Time to take a short break and mention Southern Suburbs Physiotherapy Centre who brings the Perform, Prevent, Recover podcast to you. Established for 24 years and with two great clinics in East Bentley and Parkdale, Southern Suburbs Physiotherapy Centre brings you everything you need to keep yourself in top shape, whether it's for sport, chronic health, pain conditions, post-operative, or just to be the best you can in life. Our clinics have a number of very experienced physiotherapists, all with a special interest area that helps cover any injury or condition you may need assessed. And working alongside our physios, we've got a podiatrist, massage therapist and myotherapist and dietitians, meaning you'll get access to a multidisciplinary team care approach to your conditions. SSPC also runs a busy schedule of classes, including Pilates, GLAD strength for arthritis, strength and conditioning classes, and ACL rehabilitation. Take a look at all our services and skills by just typing in www.sspc.com.au into your favourite search browser. But for now, let's get back to episode 21 with Chris Jones and keep talking knees. And pain, like it's interesting you say, and all those um, heavy pain medications, we want people off um, as soon as we can. But the other side of that coin is it, it is a painful rehab. Like compared to hips, I, I would say from what I see, there's no comparison. Hips just seem to, you know, come along quickly and, and less pain. But what do you want patients to do pain-wise? Because, again, from a physio perspective, it's so important to us that, They've got some pain control so they can do some of the exercises they need to. But what do you advise them to take for, say, that first, look, certainly three to four weeks where they are doing hard yards from a pain perspective? So I try and impress on them that ice and swelling control, so stocking and the ice, are your number one painkillers. Some background paracetamol, you don't think it works, but it makes other painkillers work better. So taking Panadol regularly, uh, either Panadol Osteo, two tablets, three times a day, or normal Panadol, two tablets, four times a day, whether you've got pain or not. Using an anti-inflammatory on top of that is the next most important thing. And, and the people who, there are people who can't use an anti-inflammatory and it's more difficult to manage their pain and swelling after the surgery. And 
I go back to them and say, look, the ice is more important for you. Use the ice more than you think. If you think you're putting enough ice on your knee, you're not doing enough. And if you think you're overdoing the ice, you're probably getting close to, to what you need to be doing. But, but anti-inflammatory medications make a huge difference. And I think getting people off the narcotics as soon as possible is, is important for managing their pain down the track. The narcotics tend to, you tend to become sensitized to pain when you take too much narcotics. So, so you, you, they're wonderful. The, the Tarjan, the Tepentadol, fantastic, almost too good. Yep. So you don't want to stop them. And, and then your brain starts to crave them. And when, and when you try and stop them, you have terrible pain. So you take another one. And that's the worst thing you can do. Um, with The government is heavily restricting the prescribing of particularly long-acting narcotics with good reason. And I, my prediction is that in... 10 or 15 years' time, we won't really use narcotics uh, for, for this surgery. We'll right. use local anaesthetic techniques. So, so now we fill people's knee with local anaesthetic at the time of the surgery. We put local anaesthetic all around the, the, um, the tissues that we've, that we've stretched and cut. Um, and we put a special block in the, the, in the nerve in the thigh so that the muscles around the knee still work, but the feeling in the knee is reduced and the pain is reduced. The um, getting people moving early is really important for pain relief. It's a little bit like if you've got a sore back. If you've got a sore back and you lie in bed, the longer you lie there, the sore your back's going to be when you get up. But if you get up and get it going and just warm it up a bit, the first time you sit up out of bed, it's really sore. And then as you take a few steps, it sort of eases off and everything stretches out. That's inflammation. And that's the problem with your knee replacement is it's sore because it's inflamed. So just treat it like that. Just get it going. Accept that the first couple of steps are going to be sore and then it'll settle down and it'll be okay. And being mobile on your knee is important. And so after surgery, we get people up out of bed the day of their surgery and the nurse helps them walk to the bathroom. And then the next day after the surgery, we want them sitting out for their meals and try not to spend time in bed after your surgery and try and come off the narcotic as quickly as possible. Those people are then more comfortable at three or four weeks. That's... If you've got a lot of pain at three or four weeks, we missed the boat on you at, at one or two days after your surgery. We need to go back. And, and so I'm really, I try really hard to, to, to concentrate on that, that early mobility, really making the patient realise that the knee's not going to fall apart. If it's comfortable on the first night after the surgery and you can walk to the bathroom and you can lift your heel off the bed and you can bend your knee, Seeing your knee do that, when it's sore the next day, when the local anaesthetic starting to wear off, the mind is able to actually use it and, and you're able to get that first step where it's a bit sore and get the inflammation out of it. Yeah, okay. When are you happy for them to get on an exercise bike? I think you can get on an exercise bike when your knee can, when your knee can bend enough. Yeah. Most people, that's two or three weeks. The knee needs to be able to bend to about 100, 100 degrees or so just to get around. Um, I tell people it's a good thing to do. Don't do it for two hours at a time. Don't get on Zwift and race Cadell Evans. Yeah. Just, just get on a bike and turn the resistance right down and just turn the pedals over. Yeah. Uh, and realise that your knee's not going to fall apart. Yep. Okay, great. Um, and look, just going, so if we go um, further down the track again uh, and what we'll sort of finish off on is is outcomes and expectations, Um when like something as simple, you know, someone who's a walker who wants to get back to walking, you know, three, four, five kilometres, so a little bit more than just around the block, do you, a, a reasonable time expectation for someone to go for a decent walk? 
a few weeks, and that that's deliberately an ambiguous time frame. A few weeks for some people is three or four weeks, and for other people is ten to twelve weeks. Um, I try and tell my patients that it's not a race, and just because their friend, who maybe I was their surgeon, yeah. and they're just because their friend did it, doesn't mean they they're going to do it. It's not a competition. We're doing your knee replacement to give you a wonderful knee for the rest of your life. We're not doing a knee replacement so that you can go and play competition tennis four weeks after your surgery. Although some people can do that, it's the serious ex- ex- exception rather than a rule. Like most people are nowhere near that. Yeah. yeah. Um, you, so when when your swelling is down, when you're comfortable, and, and I try and say it's not a it's not a switch. Think of it more like an audio slide. So, so you gradually increase what you do. And, and, and there's a line. And if you cross the line and do too much, your knee gets really sore. And the line kind of resets and you have to do less to get back to where you were. And, and I try and say to patients, the line gradually moves away. Don't go and find it. Yep. Play on, play on the, the comfortable side of the line. Eventually the line will be gone and you'll be able to do everything. And, and the only way to know where the line is is to find it, don't find it. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. What about running? You know, patients will often say to us, particularly the younger ones, but not only the younger ones, you know, I want to come back to running, um, which obviously has a fair bit of compressive force. What's your take on running after a replacement? There's mixed data. Uh, There's some data out of Germany that suggests that running and jumping on a knee replacement puts on a, a normal BMI person, so someone who's not overweight, who runs and jumps on their knee replacement, there's probably similar forces going across it as there are in someone who's got morbid obesity, so a BMI over 40. Those people put more force across their knee than someone young running, young and fit running and jumping. But my concern is that the person who's got a high BMI and walking on it isn't doing as much activity. The person who's running on their knees doing a lot of activity. So even though the individual force with each step might be the same, they're simply doing exponentially more steps. Running on knee replacements wears knee replacements out more quickly. Um, I I try and say to patients, impact activity is bad for knee replacements. It wears them out. And that's running and jumping. Uh, I'm happy for you to walk to your heart's content, but I don't think you should run on knee replacements. Um, of course, if you're going to be hit by the bus, run across the road. You know, <laughs> patients can run on their knee replacement. Like you can physically do it. And knee replacement surgery is becoming good enough that I have patients who are happy running on their knee replacements. I drive out of Linica onto Beach Road and I see patients running down the bike track who I know I've done a knee replacement <laughs> on. I honk my horn and flash the bike at them and they wave at me and start walking. Yeah. I get a call the next day. Oh, sorry, I won't do it again. <laughs> But the person who comes to me and says, I want a knee replacement so that I can keep running, I I say to them, it's okay. And I don't think you should have a knee replacement and stop running. I think you shouldn't have a knee replacement because if your expectation after a knee replacement is that you're going to be able to run and you can run now, your knee replacement is not going to meet your expectation. You're not going to be satisfied with it. You're going to have the surgery. On paper, it's going to be wildly successful. But you are going to look at your knee and say, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. This isn't good enough. I don't want this anymore. But you can't unhave it. So the patients who are running and want to be able to continue to run need to figure out, we need to figure out a different procedure for those patients so that they can continue to run. 
or they need to be comfortable with not running. And the different procedure is to change the shape of your knee with basically break your bone and refix it in a different position so that, so that it loads your knee differently. It's not that successful or we do it more often. Um, most of my patients who are running and want a knee replacement to run, I, I say, just, just get the running out of your system. And when you've decided that you've had enough of running and you're happy to not run, we'll do a knee replacement then. Don't, don't have it to run because you'll just destroy it. Yeah, sure. What about golf and tennis? You, you, you sort of mentioned tennis, but um, and I know the patient, they can be so different, but surely the prosthesis needs a period of time to settle for the cement for like, is there a minimum period? The sooner you do it, the sore your knee is going to be and the swelling's the, the key. Golf is perhaps easier than tennis because it's easier to be more objective with it. And say when people can walk with a normal walking pattern, and they can straighten their knee all the way, it's reasonable to chip a few golf balls. Yep. Go to the range, get half a bucket of balls, get your pitching wedge and your nine iron and just chip a few balls, 20 balls or so. Give the ball, the rest of the bucket to the person in the next bay, walk away. And if your knees holds up to that, it's okay after a couple of days, go back and chip a full bucket of balls. And again, if it's okay after a couple of days, take your longer clubs, like your, your drivers, just your longer clubs and just, just knock a few balls down the fairway. And if that's okay, maybe drive a couple of balls. And if that's okay, get a car and play nine holes. Sure. And walk away for a week and just make sure your knee's okay. And gradually, again, it's not a switch, it's an audio slide and just slide it up. Tennis, it's a little bit harder to be objective with. I don't want people playing competition tennis. I think playing singles competition pennant tennis is an unrealistic expectation for a knee replacement. And although you can do it, uh, and the, the component will physically move in the right direction for you to participate in that, you will destroy the knee replacement and you'll have it done again in less time than we'd like. And then you won't be able to run. You won't be able to play tennis. You won't be able to play golf. You won't be able to do anything um, because you've got a revision name all of a sudden. So I say playing social tennis is completely reasonable. Playing double social tennis, or all my patients play double social tennis. There's no problem with that. When do you go back? Hit the ball. I say, I say, when you can walk normally and there's no, you know, real pain in your knee and you're not taking significant pain relief, and usually that's six to eight weeks, maybe twelve weeks down the track. Go to the tennis court with one of your friends who's happy to hit the ball to you. Yeah. Not not over on the other side of the court. Hit it to your forehand and just just knock a few balls. Just just play for ten minutes. Just 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 knock a few balls to each other. And if your knee's okay. Do it a little bit longer, play a little bit more. And again, like the audio slide, just gradually get back into it over weeks. Yeah, sure. Um, don't find the line. Okay. And what about you've sort of, um, last sport I'm going to ask about, you've sort of said running and, and, and not, not ideally. Um, what about snow skiing? A lot of my patients snow skiing. Yeah. I love snow skiing. Uh, when I have a knee replacement, I fully intend to snow ski on it. So I better okay. let patients do it. So there's snow skiing and snow skiing. I think if you, if you have a knee replacement, that's not the time to learn to snow ski. Yep. If you do it regularly, you've done it all your life, you're good at it, you're comfortable doing it, sure, go snow skiing. But go snow skiing on predictable snow. Don't, don't go out on the really icy days. Don't go out on a, a Saturday afternoon at you know, Heavenly Valley at Mount Hotham where everyone's on, in that little gully there. You're just asking for trouble. Snow skiing in Australia is 
difficult because it is unpredictable surface, it is crowded, the runs are short. Um, I think skiing on a predictable blue run where there's not many people is totally reasonable on snow skis. Uh, oh, sorry, on a knee replacement. And I think if you can do it overseas, and we can't do it now, but in a few years we'll be able to do it overseas again, go to Colorado, ski on a groomed run all day, and you're not going to have a problem with your knee replacement. When I was in Canada, everyone skied on their knee replacement. They right. play ice hockey on their knee replacements. That they they play um, they don't play competitive ice hockey. They they, they skate around. Yeah. They don't competitively ski. They ski down blue runs. They don't ski down bumps. They don't jump off cliffs. They just they just cruise down a run with their friends. But these people have been skiing since they could walk. Yeah. Okay. They grew up in the snow. Yeah. So it's interesting. You find less stress on the knee skiing than running so it's really that impact of running that's more of a problem on the prosthesis than than skiing yeah the impact on the on the implant is the problem yeah. so skiing down a, a blue run where your skis never leave the snow there's no impact on the on on the joint replacement it's kind of like walking skiing down federation at mount buller where you're pounding down bumps that, that's not good for your knee replacement and, and you will wear it out if you do that Sure. Okay. And last question to finish on, which I suppose we now look at uh, the person that's done well and got back to life and is really happy. And we've spoken a little bit about revisions. Is there a common fault that you see that leads people needing their knee done again? Like, is it running? Is it poor rehab? Is it being overweight? Is, is there a common cause to someone needing a revision replacement? So the two most common reasons for revision are late infection and prosthesis loosening. So, yeah, the more activity you do on it, the more likely it is to loosen. But I try and say to patients, you've got to be reasonable. We're doing the knee replacement so you can live your life. Go and live yeah. your life. There's a pretty low chance that it fails. If it fails and you have to have it done again in 20 years' time, we'll do it again. It'll be okay. Um not running, not jumping on your knee dramatically reduces that risk. And beyond that, I'm pretty happy for people to do it. Um, there is a failure rate. Some people just get unlucky. Um, infection is the thing that people can modify. So the infection rate at the time of surgery is thought to be about one in 2000 as a revision for infection within six months. So it's really low. It, it comes around, but it doesn't come around that often. And is that just um, bad luck? It's just bad luck. Everyone has bacteria that live on their skin and we can't make the skin. We, we clean the skin and we make it almost bacteria-free, but there's bacteria that live in the deep pores in your skin that we simply can't remove. And that's why we give you antibiotics around the time of the surgery. Um, it's why we take a lot of care to wash things out and make it as clean as we can. And the infection rate simply cannot be zero because there's bacteria that live in people's skin that we can't completely eradicate but it's extremely low. Most infections in knee replacements, most knees that get changed out for infection happen because someone gets an infection somewhere else and it seeds to their knee replacement. And I, I use the analogy, it's not completely scientifically correct, but I use the analogy, if you get a tooth abscess and it's got bacteria in your jaw, your jaw is really sore, but you've sort of got bacteria floating around in your blood but you don't get sick because your body's immune system mops those bacteria up and sorts it out. But your knee replacement doesn't have an immune system. It's made of metal and plastic. 
So if bacteria land on it, they don't get sorted out and they can multiply and cause an infection in your knee. So what the, the lifetime risk of infection after a knee replacement is 1%. But we think that's if you ignore all your other infections. And I say to patients, if you get a tooth abscess, don't just chew cloves to make it get better. Go to your GP, get some antibiotics as a first-line management, and then go to the dentist and have it addressed. If you get a urine infection, don't, don't take cranberry juice. Go to your GP and get some antibiotics. Just because cranberry juice sorted out all your infections before your knee replacement, that's okay. With your knee replacement, you need antibiotics to protect your knee, even more than treating the infection. So, so being vigilant about other infections and not sitting on them. The cat scratches your leg and it gets a bit pussy. Go to the GP and get some antibiotics. Don't yeah, just right. rub some on it. It's not the, the, the scratch that's the problem. It's the bacteria that can float around your blood and seed your knee that's the problem. Yeah, okay. And I think that's why I spoke to you about a patient recently, actually, that had a bit of a swollen knee a bit longer than, than we wanted. And um, I think that's why, as surgeons, you don't like to aspirate or draw fluid out, isn't it? Because of the risk, simply the risk of introducing infection by putting a needle in near the knee joint. Yeah, your knee, your normal knee has a blood supply and uh, it's made of your tissue and it has an immune system, but your knee replacement doesn't. We're really nervous about putting needles into knee replacements. We're really nervous about interfering with the skin around the knee replacement because you can introduce infection and it, it can go from being something minor to losing your knee replacement overnight. Yeah, right. Okay. Um, well, that's probably not the best note to finish on, but I think of... Um, it's a great I've, operation there. <laughs> yeah, well, do you know... Uh, really, it's, it's a life-changing operation. Well, I was just uh, going to say, if, if there's an operation we see in here that just changes people's lives, it's it, certain hips as well, but knees just... Uh, and I think because knees tend to, when they're really bad, cripple people so much, but when they become good again, they, they just are fantastic for people. And and as we say to people, you know, you want your, if you need it, you, you want your quality of life in your 50s and 60s. Isn't, there's no need to wait till your 70s. But, yeah, it's, it's a brilliant operation. No, I couldn't agree more. It's, and that's why, that's why I enjoy doing it. It's a good operation. And it's a much better operation now than it was 15 years ago. Yeah, okay. And if people do want to search you out after this, um, what's their best ways of finding where you are? There are only two Chris Jones orthopaedic surgeons in Australia, <laughs> and one of them's in Perth. Right, okay. <laughs> so it's pretty easy Chris then. Jones orthopaedic surgeon, <laughs> and, and you find, find one in Perth, it's not me, but the guy in Perth fortunately happens to be a lovely guy and he's a really good surgeon as well. So, <laughs> so we're, we're, we're okay with this. Um, yeah, I'm, a, I'm on the internet and uh, I'm, a, I'm at Lineker and um, uh, it's a common name, but there's, there's only one other orthopedic surgeon. Yeah, look, that's great. Well, look, Chris, I appreciate your time. It, it, it has been really good, uh, as I said, to get it from the horse's mouth and find out a lot of that information that, that um, people just want to know and that we as physios are, are, are commonly asked and sometimes we sort of think, geez, Hank, we'd, we'd better ask the surgeon that ourselves. But... You've cleared a lot up and um, appreciate your time. It's been fantastic. Thanks very much for having me, Anthony. It's been wonderful. No, it's good on you, Chris. Thanks so much. Bye. Well, that's it for episode 21. And hopefully between this episode and episode 20, 
you'll have a great insight into the surgical world of knee replacements. Sometimes it's a fine balance between knowing too much about a procedure and potentially being scared off or not knowing enough and not preparing yourself for the task and the rehab at hand. But the conversation with Chris should have you fully geared towards making an informed decision, knowing what you're about to get into and knowing what's in store after the operation. Certainly with knee replacements, as we've discussed, it is a tough surgery and it is a tough rehabilitation, but it's an absolutely life-changing surgery as well, when it's done at the right time and with the right rehab. There were so many great messages in there from Chris, but today I'm gonna to make my take-home points more physio-based. So firstly, look, if you can do a month or two of good physio prehab before the operation, that's going to make an amazing difference. And in fact, we're actually finding that some people end up postponing their surgery as they feel so much better after doing some good rehab for a month or two before the op. But even if you do go ahead with the op, you're going to be so much better off with the outcomes and the rehabilitation process. And my second point is just be prepared for the tough rehab afterwards. Give yourself some time, listen to your physio, work hard in those first six weeks and you'll never look back. You'll be one of these people that calls a total knee joint replacement a life-changing operation. So I'm sure there's plenty more points that you've all gained by listening. Thanks for doing so. And we look forward to bringing you the next podcast. So if you haven't already, please don't forget to hit the follow button to ensure you get notified as soon as our next podcast is released. Mm -hmm.